This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. Good to be with all of you. I apologize at the outset today if my voice is a little scratchy. I'm actually recording this podcast after the Salt Company National Conference has happened in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, I think I probably uh, either sang a little too loud or stayed up a little bit too late or preached a little too passionately or maybe some combination of the three, and so my voice is a little tired as I record the podcast. My heart is full. And actually, the podcast day, while I'd love to talk about what happened at the Salt Company National Conference, and frankly, if you weren't able to be there, you should just go saltcompanyconference.com and listen to some of the main sessions, listen to some of the breakouts. It was an incredibly rich time with uh, nearly 5,000 college students in Des Moines, Iowa. But today, I get to talk about politics about the caucuses, about why we vote as people. You know, it may feel like a little bit of a downer, like, oh my goodness, I could be talking about the movement of the gospel and college students. Why do I have to talk about politics? And today, I just want to cover kind of three things on the podcast to help you out. One is to talk a little bit about why we even talk about politics at all. Why do we vote? Why does it matter? Uh, How does that relate to a Christian conviction? Second, maybe a little more controversial, I want to peel back a little bit of the curtain on why I don't endorse candidates as a pastor, why we at Cornerstone don't make like political endorsements from a stage. Why is it that that isn't just something we do because of a nonprofit status, but because of a convictional approach to the way a church, and even the way in some ways Christians relate to the political nature of our government in America, but then I want to be really, really practical. I want to say, I think all of you who can, who live in the state of Iowa, we have a pretty important uh, function of our electoral system of uh, the Iowa caucuses coming up, and I want to advocate for all of you to get out and be part of it. I think this is an incredible opportunity for Christians to operate by conviction, and I think you should do that. So why do we say that? Okay, so first, why do we vote? Let's talk a little practically about that. And the biblical basis for this, of building what I would call a political theology, um, is I think the foundational text on this is Romans chapter 13, where Paul tells in his writing to the church at Rome that everyone should submit to the governing authorities because there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted, they're put in place by God. Paul goes on, on to call these rulers and these governing authorities God's servants, established by him for the promotion of good, putting back what is evil. Since the authorities are God's servants, we submit to them. Submission to God involves submission to political authorities. Now, there are times, there are times when a governing authority may ask you to go against what God has ordained or what God has commanded, in which case we must confess with all Christians we must obey God rather than men. So there are times when we have to be subversive in our relationship to a governing authority, not just submissive. However, whenever possible, Christians should maintain an approach that is submissive to governing authorities. In the case of the the times of Rome, Paul talks about obeying the laws that are in place, paying the taxes that are demanded. Well, in a democratic society, like the one in which we live in modern America, 
Certainly part of being submissive as a citizen involves exercising the rights and privileges of a citizen of voting. So voting is a way as a Christian to honor God's authority that God has put in the place governing authority, so you honor God by honoring that authority. But secondly then, voting as a Christian is a way to love your neighbor. If God has put in place governing authorities to care for his creation, to care for his people, he has given a charge to us as those who would help to appoint those governing authorities to try to appoint people who would work for justice, good, and right in the world. If we want to see our neighbors flourish, part of that is political flourishing. So we should vote by conscience for the leaders we best believe embody the principles of righteousness, justice, and good that God orders for his created world. Our voting then is influenced by an ultimate allegiance to Jesus, but we aren't voting for a king in place of Jesus. We're simply exercising our duties as a citizen by conscience. Oh, that's my alarm going off telling me I should pray. I'll pause that, pray after I finish this podcast. Okay, second point. If why we vote is influenced by trusting that God has set up political authorities and voting matters as a way of, to love your neighbor, why as a pastor don't I endorse candidates as a pastor? You know, or why would I do this? And I'm not just talking, guys, about, well, what about the legalities of nonprofit status? I'm not, I, I, I don't even want to get into that as the primary consideration. I want to give you two major reasons why, for me, I've never felt comfortable endorsing a candidate or a party from the platform of a place of of pastoring. The first reason has to do with the biblical text of Romans chapter 14 and the limits of pastoral authority, okay? This is really important to me. As a pastor, it's it's important to say, I exercise a sort of uh, spiritual authority, Paul tells Timothy to command those who are rich in this world to be generous. He tells Timothy in his writings to him that he's to rebuke and to exhort and to encourage with all authority. So there's a certain sort of authority that you possess as a pastor spiritually. However, I think it's incredibly important to realize there are limitations. Your local pastor, your local elders at your church cannot just command you to do whatever they feel like doing. The limits of pastoral authority are confined to biblical authority because you are a subordinate authority. Let me unpack that. Christ is the ultimate authority. His word is what rules his people in his church. So as a pastor, I don't have authority simply because of the office of pastor, You know, just because I'm called an elder or a pastor doesn't mean I can tell people to do whatever I want. The goal of my authority is to help them to submit to Christ, to obey His Word, to submit to His authority. I'm not an ultimate authority. I am an under or a subordinate authority. I'm an under-shepherd underneath Christ who is the great shepherd of His people, which means the limits of my authority are limited to the words of Christ. And so my goal is to help people know God's word, know how to obey it, and know how to live faithful lives. And when it comes to obeying Jesus, there are straight line issues where clearly we are called to obey Christ. For instance, obeying the command to not murder is that that that's not an issue of like conscience, you know, where you need to pray about that. You should not murder because there is a straight line of obedience to Christ's word. 
That's an example where something politically in your public life is a clear issue where as a pastor, I should command you on the authority of Christ to not murder. That's where issues regarding right to life and abortion come in. But there are dotted line issues where actually what it looks like to be faithful in a sin-cursed and complicated world are not nearly so clear, all right? Who you vote for in an election, I tend to think is often a dotted line issue where good, godly people operating by conscience can and will come to different conclusions, in which case we are not governed by a direct line of obedience, but a dotted line to conscience. So it's not Romans 13 that primarily guards us there, but Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 commands us to not argue about disputed matters. It says in Romans 14, 4, who are we to judge another's household servant? We each stand or fall before the Lord, and we will stand. One person judges each one day to be more important than the other. Someone else judges each day. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. But then Paul goes on and says, whatever you're convinced of, you should keep between yourself and God. You should not judge your brother or your sister. You should work in faith and not doubting. Romans chapter 14 governs matters of political voting. And this is important to say here. Paul explicitly says that we are in Romans 14, 5, to be fully convinced in our own mind what is right. But then he says, even though you're fully convinced, you're operating by conscience and conviction, you also need to be clear that your brother or sister who is also operating by conscience or conviction may become fully convinced differently than you, and that is okay. You see, that's an area where if I were to command as a pastor, what I risk is making a person disobey or not direct themselves to become fully convinced their own mind and vote their conscience. So I'm going to say the first reason I don't endorse candidates for public office as a pastor is because I don't believe the Bible authorizes me to do so. Instead, in this Romans 14 needs to lead individual believers to think carefully and to do what they believe is best according to conscience. The second reason that I don't endorse candidates, and we don't do so at Cornerstone Church, has to do with the concern that I have about people becoming confused in their ultimate allegiances. Friends, to say that Jesus is King and Lord is a deeply political statement. I am saying the ultimate ruler of all things is Jesus. And that one day when he comes back, he will rule and reign over everything. And my primary allegiance, even at such time as I hold dual citizenship, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of man, so I'm in the United States of America, but I am ultimately a citizen of King Jesus and his kingdom. I'm subordinate to him. And so my ultimate allegiance, even as I await the fullness of his kingdom, is to him as king and to his kingdom, ultimately. And I am deeply concerned as a pastor when I see people try to directly connect the ultimate kingdom of Jesus with the temporary kingdom of America, when you see politics becoming couched in overly religious tones, in religious terminologies, I think we are not far removed from idolatry. And I'm deeply concerned on both right and left politically that those lines get blurry and fuzzy for people. And so one reason that I don't endorse candidates as a pastor 
is because I think it is most important for me to make sure your ultimate allegiance to King Jesus is clear. And I'm telling you, there's a danger here. Recently, I was reading the New York Times. I'm going to quote a little bit from an article that was recently came out in the Times. It says, Trump is connecting with a different type of evangelical voter. The subtitle was this, they're not just the church-going conservative activists who once dominated the GOP. This released on January 8th of 2024 by Ruth Graham and Charles Homans. They're covering the Iowa uh, caucus scene right now. But this is really interesting. I'm just going to read a bit of it. The The first was a quote from a lady named Karen Johnson. It says she went to a Lutheran church regularly as a child, won perfect attendance awards. As an adult, she taught Sunday school. But these days, Ms. Johnson, a 67-year-old counterattendant at a slot machine parlor, no longer goes to church. This is the key phrase here. She still identifies as an evangelical Christian. But she doesn't believe going to church is necessary to commune with God. I have my own little thing with the Lord. She says, her thing includes frequent prayer, podcasts, and YouTube channels that discuss politics and what's going on from a right-wing, sometimes Christian worldview. And no one plays a more central role in her perspective than Donald J. Trump, the man she believes can defeat the Democrats who she is certain are destroying the country and bound for hell. Here's the quote, Trump is our David and Goliath. Now, as a pastor, my skin crawls a little bit there. To call any political figure your David and Goliath, to suggest that your own personal practice of what you want to do with God has nothing to do with church and more to do with politics, boy, that's a concern. The article goes on, and actually this description is very telling. It says this later in the article, Being an evangelical once suggested regular church attendance, a focus on salvation and conversion, and strongly held views specifically on issues such as abortion. Okay, to that I would say, yeah, that, that sounds right to me. Today, that same term, evangelical, It is as often used to describe a cultural and political identity, one in which Christians are considered a persecuted minority. Traditional institutions are viewed skeptically, and Mr. Trump looms large. Politics has become the master identity, said Ryan Burge, by the way, an excellent author himself, a Baptist pastor and a poli-sci professor at Eastern Illinois University. Politics is a master identity, okay? That's key. But the thing I want you to note there is that the term itself, evangelical, that they're using to describe a person is not tied to adherence to a church, to even confession of a set of beliefs about Jesus. It's not considered tied to biblical convictions. The term evangelical that they're rooting is tied deeply to a sort of political and social set of convictions. Here's the description, by the way. Jackson Lehmeyer, founder of Pastors for Trump, all right? This is his description. The people who come in here and who are voting for uh, President Trump are people who love their country and believe in God but aren't typical churchgoers. That's very interesting. And in this, I'll give, just give this final kind of quote. 
Mr. Trump himself then has become a model for embracing this sort of evangelicalism as an identity, not a practice of religion. In 2020, he announced he no longer identified as Presbyterian, but now was considering himself a non-denominational Christian, a tradition closely associated with evangelicalism. He's rarely seen in church, but a poll this fall by Harris for the Deseret News found that more than half Republicans see Mr. Trump as a person of faith. That's more than any other 2024 presidential candidate, and substantially more than President Biden, a lifelong Catholic who attends Mass frequently. Mr. Trump is seen, guys, as a picture of kind of even what it means to be an evangelical. Not so much a adherence to a, a theology, adherence to a way of living, adherence even to a moral foundation, but a general sense that you love your country and love God. Okay. Friends, there's a ton in that that I'm concerned about as a pastor. There's a redefinition of what it means to be an, a Christian, an evangelical Christian there. What happened there? I just think we need to be very honest. Whenever we too deeply mix up partisan political affiliations and our affiliation with Christ as Lord, friends, over and over and over again, I have watched people warp their way of thinking about Jesus to match their way of thinking about partisan politics. So, as a pastor, because I believe there are limits to my authority to command people to what the Bible tells us to do, And secondly, because I think my most important charge as a pastor is to call people to submit their ultimate allegiance to Jesus as king, I do not believe it is helpful to tell people who they, I believe they should be voting for. And I think everybody should get involved in a caucus in Iowa if you got a shot. Okay, now, I don't think those two things are necessarily contradictory. Friends, I think it is a responsibility as a godly citizen in love of neighbor and submission to Christ to vote whenever possible, to be involved in a process politically. So even though I'm not going to tell you who I would be advocating for to caucus, I think maybe you should get involved. I think you should get involved. But for many people, the hurdle there actually involves they don't know what a caucus is or even how it works. So I'm just going to take two minutes and describe the way a caucus works in Iowa, and I'm, I'm just going to advocate. If you live in the state of Iowa and you can, you should absolutely get involved in this. This is part of a democratic process that you should be involved in as a Christian. So what is a caucus? How do you get involved? So in presidential years, the, a caucus has the, the feature of a presidential poll that most people are going to see. But really, a caucus is just a gathering at kind of a grassroots level of people who are involved in the political process all throughout a particular political party, all right? It's a grassroots function where you elect positions of leadership and the county party and things like that. You you talk about party platform. People are allowed to participate in a caucus. Remember, it's a party-affiliated function. So you, in Iowa at least, to participate in a Republican or Democratic caucus, you have to be a registered member of that party. That, and um, so you can't be registered in Iowa as no party. You, you have to be registered Republican or Democrat to go to their caucus. And you have to be 18 years old by election day. So a 17-year-old could participate um, as long as they'd be 18 November 5th. Okay, for for the presidential election, and they have to reside in the precinct in which they're caucusing. Okay, so um, 
By the way, to find this information, I'm going to review a lot of this. Probably the most helpful website I found, giving a bunch of this, was actually put out by iowafarmbureau.com. If you just search, how should I caucus in Iowa on Google, you'll find it. And they have an excellent little tutorial. So I'm going to reference a lot of stuff from there. So how do you figure out where you caucus? Okay, well, each precinct in Iowa holds a Republican or Democratic caucus, and the date this year is January 15th, 2024, all right? You should plan to spend an hour or two there because it's going to be held in a local church, a community center, a school, a library. Those places are set generally by the local Republican Party, Republican Party of Iowa, or Democratic Party of Iowa. And so if you want to know more information about where you would caucus, you're going to need to go to the Republican Party of Iowa website, the Democratic Party of Iowa website, or you could call them up and they'll tell you that information. Now, the caucuses work a bit different. Republican uh, caucus, the presidential poll is pretty straightforward. Um, What happens is at each caucus location, uh, there's a chance to invite someone to speak in favor of their favorite candidate. There are speeches that are given, and then each eligible voter votes. Um, They fill these out in Republican caucuses typically by secret ballot. The votes then are counted, and then all the precincts in the county are collected by party leadership, reported the party leadership in Iowa, and they give that information out through the website. The Democratic caucus is undergoing some change. Uh, Those of you who are in Iowa will know they made headlines for, um, well, bad reasons. It just did not go well um, in the past. What's happening is January 15th, Democrats will still gather to do in-person caucus where they'll do most of their party business, okay? Not just presidential business, but party business. But the presidential preference poll part of the caucus has multiple ways, if you're a Democrat in Iowa, that you can participate. You can do so by, by mail. You can submit that electronically. You can download a printable form that can be returned by email or by mail, or you can request a card to be mailed to you uh, through the Democratic Caucus page. As they submit them, the preference cards uh, that are mailed out will be sent by January 12th, and then they will be counted, okay, uh, all the way up to March 5th, okay, when they will announce their full results. How all of that is going to work and whether they will use that long term, I have no idea, but that's what they're doing right now. Another part of a caucus involves like party platforms, uh, planks, statements of policy, other business, and those things will come up at caucuses as well. And so, look, if you've never done so, it's a presidential election year, so it's kind of a big year to get involved. And I just want to advocate for all of you getting out and getting involved in a caucus. If you're a registered Republican or Democrat, you have the opportunity to do so. And being involved politically, even if your candidate doesn't win, your candidate of choice doesn't win, is a simple way to love your neighbor and to be faithful as a citizen. Remember, we have an ultimate allegiance to the citizenship we have in the kingdom of God. We should never confuse that. We should never confuse that with the citizenship that we have in the United States of America. However, remember that as citizens in the kingdom of Christ, he has commands in his word about how we honor governing authorities. And so one way, I think, to honor an authority that's in place is to be part of the process of electing them. So Monday, January the 15th in Iowa, there will be people going out to caucus all over the place, and I hope you will join them. Take the time out to be a faithful citizen, to get involved. 
and think carefully and prayerfully about who you would want to cast your vote for. Who are the people that as you look at them, as as you've seen what they've said, as you've studied carefully, you believe would best represent the values of the kingdom of Jesus, of righteousness, of justice, of good in the world? Who do you believe in both the positions that they articulate and in the personal practices of how they live would be the best representative to care for people in this country? And then vote according to conscience. Vote not just because of political expediency. Don't just vote because you're pushed to do so because of a party. Vote by way of a conscience, knowing that ultimately, friends, what we're after as the citizens of God's kingdom is not just simply winning an election, but obeying Jesus, being faithful to our convictions all the way. And friends, in the midst of voting, do so as an act of love of neighbor and obedience to Christ, but do so with your conscience clear that this is not a vote for us to elect someone to rule the kingdom of God, and the election of one political leader or another has no part in ushering in the kingdom of God in the world. We're simply voting for people to run an offense. We're voting because we hope that righteousness and justice reigns and cares for people as we await the coming of our ultimate King Jesus, and we pray for his return. So vote your conscience on January 15th, and maybe in the midst of doing so, friends, it'd be good on January 15th and on every election day to vote our conscience, but also to pray fervently for the return of the one true King Jesus, to look to the time when he will come back from heaven and praise God, he will end all elections because he will reign forever on that day as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Until that day, Lord Jesus, let us be faithful to you as citizens of your kingdom and citizens of the places in which we live. 